It's good to be here with all of you who actually remembered uh, that it was Time Change Sunday and you didn't care about getting an hour less of sleep. So welcome to Kingsway. If you're visiting with us today, man, you really, 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 really are welcome because it's eight o'clock your time or whatever it is and uh, we're just glad you're here with us today. Uh, we're in a series called Be Bold, Safe is Boring. And this story, this phrase has been the story of my life. I was in sixth grade when uh, I really decided to start becoming more bold than usual. Now, when you're in sixth grade, there's a very fine line between bold and stupid. And uh, they often get blended together, especially if you're me. So, and just before this season of my life, I had watched other people do backflips off a diving board. And I decided, how hard could it be? Except that these were people who knew what they were doing. Greg Louganis was popular about that time. I'd watched him. I mean, come on. How hard could it be? So I went out to the swimming pool and I did a few backflips successfully, though most people told me I looked really, really bad at form. It was kind of like push off with as much momentum as you can and hope your feet hit the water and you don't belly smack. And that's pretty much how it went. I didn't tuck. I didn't get tight in the ball. I didn't go real high. I didn't really even know how to use the diving board to my advantage. But one day I was swimming. It was roughly the fall time. It was cold outside, so it was indoor swimming. Our high school where I lived had a swimming pool, and I was showing off in front of girls because every guy knows you get real bold real fast when it gets you a name or a phone number, right? Sixth grade. What else is there in life? So I'm on the diving board. I'm ready to go. I flip off, and something felt different. I heard a loud thud, really loud in my head. Turns out I had flipped around. I didn't get far enough away from the board, and I came up under the diving board with my head and cracked underneath the diving board. I went into the water. I don't know how long I was under the water. I don't think I passed out, obviously. I, all I know is I came to the top of my head was throbbing, and I started yelling for help. They dove in the water. Nobody saw it happen. They didn't know what happened. They dove in the water. They pulled me to the side, and all of a sudden, there's blood everywhere. I have this scar right here that you used to not be able to see because it was hidden by my hairline. <laughs> but here's the thing. Once something happens to you, and it's terrifying, it'll change you forever. It can either change you for the good or change you for the bad. It took a long time for me to get back on a diving board. Since that day, I've only done a backflip maybe twice ever since sixth grade, which was, you know, a couple years ago. <laughs> now, here's the point. So as we get into today's message, when fear is reigning in your life, when fear is the, the outcome and the goal and the thing that's driving your decision making, you will stop doing things that you're capable of doing. You will stop doing things that you might, not, you might fail in. You will stop doing things that might hurt, might, might, might. Why? Because you are afraid. And that really sets the stage where we're going today. Right before we get into the book of Acts, if you want to go ahead and open, we're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 8, chapter 9. We've been studying the book of Acts, first 10 chapters, where we're going in the series as we're going through Be Bold. And before we get into that today, I want to talk about who Kingsway is. So if you're visiting with us on this great day, this is who we're trying to be. This is what we're trying to become. And here it is, Kingsway, a place where the lost and the broken are transformed by the love of Christ. That's our goal. That's what we're striving towards. So all of our ministries, our programs, our services, everything we coordinate here, it's to that outcome. And you know this, right? Because in your life, at some point or another, things fell apart. And I've noticed, I'm 39, going to be 39 again this year, and uh, I'm having a hard time saying that one. But anyway, 
I'm going to be 40 this year, and what I've seen is while I am no longer lost, I am right with Jesus Christ, my life still goes through seasons of, of triumph and struggle and triumph and struggle. It seems like whenever things are good, I know the next valley is coming, and it's almost like, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, like, ugh, I wonder if things are going to fall apart again, because life seems to go through seasons of brokenness, but here's the thing. In those seasons of brokenness is where Jesus meets me and does his greatest work in my life, and that's why as a church, we want to come alongside people whose lives are broken for various reasons, are falling apart they're hurting and they don't have the answers they once had and we want to provide ministries and resources and opportunities for them to meet the God who wants to redeem the brokenness by the way that is the theme for Easter this year which I know Jess already announced deep waters we're going to take a look at Peter we're going to take a look at his worst moment of his life and how God redeemed that I highly encourage you to invite a friend bring a family member for Easter this year I know it's spring break You won't want to miss it. So now, Acts chapter 8. Where we left off last week is this. The the, the disciples um, are starting to tell people about the good news of Jesus. God redeems the worst parts of our lives. And as the disciples are doing that, the persecution gets greater and greater and greater. The apostles are arrested. In fact, one guy last week we looked at, his name was Stephen, and Stephen is stoned to death. That doesn't mean they made him smoke pot till he died. They literally threw rocks at him until his life was ended. Unless you were in Colorado, and then it could mean that. But here in Indiana and in the ancient Israel, it meant they threw stones at him till he died. Now, when Stephen died, they literally took the cloak and the clothing, and they put them at the feet of a guy named Saul. You see that at the end of Acts chapter 7. So Acts chapter 8, where we are today, we're taking a look at a guy named Saul. Now, if you were hear me refer to him throughout this message at some point as a guy named Paul, it's because Saul changes his own name to Paul. And there's a whole conversation behind that. I've preached on it in another message. Let's take a look now. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem and over, sorry, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Let's just hang here for a second. If you remember your Gospels, if you're visiting, you might not know this, but if you remember your Gospels, Jesus has already told the disciples, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, this message of the hope of Jesus Christ is going to keep going out and going out and going out. There is a natural struggle for every Christian, for every church that exists in the world today, and that is to keep it in, keep it in, keep it in, because in is safe. And in is easier. And some of you are here at Kingsway because you went to a church that kept it in and there was just something in your soul that said, I just don't feel like I'm being challenged the way I want to anymore. I just don't get it. It doesn't connect with my everyday life. I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. I don't need more knowledge. I don't just need more information. I really need to know God's purpose and plan for my life. And part of what we see in today's text is God's purpose and plan for Every life. Because at whatever point you meet Jesus through the gospel, you need to know something. He wants to change you. Now, if you're visiting today, that's like the worst thing I could say because you're like, "Uh uh-uh. Man, the reason I broke up with my ex-girlfriend is because she tried to change me. 
The problem I had in my last marriage, my parents, every, every relationship I've ever been in is because they keep trying to change me. They don't accept me for who I am. And that's the difference with Jesus. Jesus completely embraces you where you are. But he just loves you too much to leave you how he found you. And even if you're not ready to accept it or embrace it or understand it yet, Jesus has a journey that he's taking you on. And he's trying to get you there. And he's leading your life and coordinating your circumstances to lead you down that direct path. And that's what we're about to see. So this guy named Saul is going around persecuting the the church. It's bad stuff. He's trying to arrest everybody, throw them in prison. He's even watching some of the leadership of the church get killed. And now we get ourselves to uh, chapter 9, verse 1. So chapter 8 goes, it talks about Philip and Peter and others. I highly recommend we read it. We're going to follow Saul. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. That's the Jewish religious leader. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation and the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. Now, just camp out there for a second. I pointed this out before. Notice they really won't call them Jesus followers. The name Christian hasn't really even popped up yet. The name Christian's coming in the book of Acts, and it really was used to describe this group of people who follow Jesus. At this point in the book of Acts, they're simply called the way. And it goes back to what we hear from John chapter 14, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And one of my Bible college professors said, really the best way to read that statement from Jesus is Jesus is the way to true life, or he is the true way to life. In other words, what the disciples of Jesus are simply communicating is there are a lot of ways to do life, but all of them in the end lead to death. There's only one way to do life that leads to life. Jesus actually says it this way in John 10, 10, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. So all these other ways of doing life out there are only gonna lead you towards death. And I realize, I get it. If you're visiting with us today, you're like, well, that's offensive. Who are you to say to me? And the only thing I would ask between just you and God and those quiet moments where I'm not there, nobody else is around, It's life working out the way you thought it would. And if the answer is no, would you just consider, just consider the possibility that there might be a different way? So now what happens is Saul's got these letters from the high priest. He's going to go persecute in the synagogues. And look at what happens next. Verse, or chapter 9, verse 1. I've missed my note. Where are we? There we go. Thank you. I'm glad somebody in here is paying attention. All right. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I'm guessing the voice sounded more like this because this is how Hollywood do it. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I don't know how he sounded. Maybe Jesus sounds like Mike Tyson. Whatever it is, if you're walking along the road, you got your clan with you, he's got his buddies with him, all these people are going to help carry it out, and a light shines down from heaven, stops him and distracts it, he starts hearing a voice. This would be a terrifying moment. And like most of us, Saul begins to talk to the voice. Verse 5, who are you, Lord? Saul asked, it's really a question. Who are you, Lord? 
And the voice responds, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. So now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. What would it be like for Saul in that moment? Here he is killing Christians, persecuting Christians, arresting Christians, and now in this moment, the one who is the God of Christians is now talking to him. There's a fear that would come over his heart. But there's a few things I want you to get from this verse before I really go on to what I think is the main point of the text itself. I want you to get this. When Jesus' church is being persecuted, Jesus views it as himself being persecuted. There are a lot of points to make out of that one point. It's not the focus of today's sermon, but let me just apply it real quick. So when you are tearing down another believer, when you are criticizing another believer, when you are gossiping about another believer, when you're slandering another believer, when you're spreading, spreading lies or rumors about another believer, do you know who you're actually attacking? Jesus. Now think about that for a minute. This is why James tells us that the tongue is a, is a terrible evil. It's uncontrollable. It takes only a small spark and a whole force could be set ablaze. That's how the tongue is to our bodies. If anybody could keep their tongue in check, they can keep their whole body in check. It's hard. But not only that, when you're being persecuted and you're being attacked and you're being called things, true or not, Jesus takes it as a personal offense. It is him. So he comes to your aid. He comes to your side. But what's hard for most of us as believers is Jesus doesn't do it the way we think he ought to. Remember this if you were here uh, just a few chapters earlier when the disciples are praying and the persecution is coming and the threats are coming and the, the, the apostles get together and they pray with all the believers and they say, Lord, consider their threats and help us to be bold anyway. They don't say, attack our enemies, punish our enemies, persecute our enemies. They just say, God, in the midst of it, help us to be strong in the midst of the fear to move forward. And Jesus is on our side. So now, what happens next is Saul does what he's told to do. He goes into the city, Damascus, and he's blind. And his group is with him, and they've heard things, and they don't understand what's going on. But Saul is now sitting there fasting and praying and seeking the Lord over and over and over again. And there's another guy. His name is Ananias, different than the other Ananias that happened earlier in the book, in chapter 5. This Ananias is praying. He's having a quiet time with the Lord. And the Lord comes to this Ananias and he tells him, Ananias, I need you to go to Saul and I need you to tell him about me. You're going to find, literally, he tells him, here's where you're going to find him, here's a street, here's a place, go there. It's amazing because this is clearly from God. He knows exactly where you are in life right now. He knows exactly the details of your story and he's moving already and he sends Ananias to go to Saul and Ananias doesn't like it. He's cracked his head on at least one or two diving boards in his life. He's afraid, he's anxious, he's heard the things that are going on or th things that has been said about Saul. Here's his response, take a look, Acts chapter nine, verse 13. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everybody who calls on your name. Now do you know what just happened? And I think this is the major focus of the story today. What just happened is Ananias argued with God. 
And before you judge him, be honest. When was the last time you argued with God? Now, I don't know about you, but see, I'm all about God's will when it's good. For me, good. Like, and I know it good. Like, when God literally told me to break up with a girl I was dating in Bible college because he said to me, he literally revealed to me, she's not the one I have planned for you. It was hard, but that meant something good. That meant he had something better for me. Then when I met my now wife and we were just friends, now I don't know about your school, but in Bible college, people joke that ladies go to there, get their MRS degree. So everybody was just friends. Now, when I met her and we were just friends and I started praying, God, is she the one? Is she the one? Is she the one? It took me a year of praying, but God revealed to me at some point in that praying that she was the one. And I was all about that. Like, this is awesome. Like, now how long do we have to wait until she is actually the one? It was good for me. I was okay with that. But then there are those moments in my life where God reveals something to me that's hard or painful or uncomfortable or, or whatever it is. And I, and I argue with him. You, clearly, that couldn't be your voice. Clearly, you didn't mean that. This is something I haven't... Um, Use as a public illustration because I don't really have a box to put it in, but it happened, and so I'll just share it. In uh, the summer of 2014, I was on a prayer walk with God, and uh, I was literally going over a sermon. I was preaching at this camp, and God stopped me in my tracks. So literally, I'm walking, and I'm talking to him. I'm kind of going over the sermon in my head, and all of a sudden, literally stopped me in my tracks, and as loud as I've ever heard the voice of God, and it wasn't literal, but it was as literal as literal gets, he said to me, Matt, I'm about to prune you. Now, I don't know if you've ever read the book, Necessary Endings, uh, by Henry Cloud. Highly recommend it. And his whole point to that book is everything has a beginning and everything has an ending. And so if we don't prune things, here's my application, if we don't prune things, God will prune them for us. And this is extremely hard and painful because as Henry Cloud points out in that book, there are three things God prunes. He prunes the dead, he prunes the poisonous, and he prunes the good. And all of these things are so that God can bring about the better or the best. And I wrestled with God for the next 10 minutes, like, who are you pruning, God? Is it me? Is it my church? Is it my family? And he said, yes. And it was so hard and so painful. And for those of you who've been here over the last year or two, man, it's been hard and it's been painful. And the hardest, most painful parts are knowing that there were moments that God spoke and I didn't listen. There were moments that God spoke and I didn't do what he was telling me to do. I argued with him. And the pruning has led to pain for others. But I know this, when God speaks, we have a choice. We will obey and God will bless. Or we will argue and fight the will of God. And he'll still get done everything he has planned to get done. But it's usually going to mean something for us. Now, I don't know exactly what happened for Ananias in this moment. I don't know everything that was in his heart, but he clearly was afraid. But God was being patient with Ananias like I know he will be with you, like he has been with me. And he says this, verse 15, but the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. Part of what God is doing now for Ananias in this moment is saying, Ananias, you can only see this much of the picture, but I've got this much of the picture still to reveal. This is where we are right now. I need you to go because I'm going to use him in powerful, powerful ways. I need you to go. Now, before we move on to what happens next, has God been saying anything to you throughout this series? I got an email just this week from a, a lady in our church whose brother ended up in the hospital, and she asked me to have somebody, somebody go on her behalf to proclaim the gospel 
to her brother who has terminal cancer. It just so happens that I got the email as I was leaving the hospital late on Friday night. So I turned around and went back to the hospital. And I didn't know this guy. And I'm thinking this is awkward, but for those of you who've been here, my mom's been going through cancer, so I understand it a little bit. And we talked for 45 minutes or so about Jesus, the gospel, grace, eternity. It was awkward. It was uncomfortable. But Jesus showed up. This week, I got an email from, from a young lady here who I just happened to run into a couple weeks ago, and she's working downtown, and I ran into her, actually, in the place where she works downtown, and she follow, sent me a follow-up email, and she says, this series is moving me, but I don't know exactly what God is doing, and I, I, ten, I sense there's a tension in her own heart between her will and God's will, because there are all these fears and anxieties, but what if I do it and it fails? What if I do it and it's hard? What if I do it and it's painful? What if I do it and it doesn't work the way I thought it ought to work? And those fears and those anxieties keep us from moving forward. And here's what I know. Most of the reason we have fear, most of the reason we had anxiety, because at some point we got bit by a diving board. At some point we failed. At some point things didn't work out like we thought. At some point we got hurt. And those fears and those anxieties of this world of man, they drive deep into our hearts and they make us stay safe in the safest environment with our families and ourselves and our friends. And we are tempted never to move beyond it. But the gospel is lying just beyond it. And you and I, we wouldn't be here today if Ananias doesn't decide to go forward. Because this guy, this guy saw who takes the gospel to most of the Mediterranean world. It's this guy, Saul, and his partners who take the gospel to an area known as Macedonia. It's this guy, Saul, who then, because of those churches in Macedonia, plant some churches in some areas you might have heard of called Europe. And if they don't plant churches in Europe, then a certain group of pilgrims never make their way to the United States. And if they never make their way to the United States, then you and I aren't gathered here today because Ananias went. Now, what happens next, and it's fascinating, what happens next is the way that God encourages Ananias. So God says to Ananias, Ananias, don't worry about it. Look at the very next verse, verse 16. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. What? When I preached this text as a youth minister, I made a big joke out of it. Like, don't worry about it, Ananias. I know he's threatening everybody else, but I'm going to beat the snot out of him for it. It'll be great. I don't believe now that's the best way to read that. It probably wasn't then, but I was being a youth minister and I thought it would be funny. Think about what God just said to Ananias. He's going to suffer for me. And part of what he's trying to communicate is, Ananias, the gospel costs something. Later on, Paul, whose name is changed, later on Paul writes about this. He talks about being shipwrecked and beaten and whipped and flogged and starved and all kinds of horrible things. But all of them, he's giving glory to God saying, thank God he considers me worthy for the sake of the gospel. In fact, it's that same text where he says, I'm not even going to boast about these things because there's only one thing worth boasting about, and that's knowing Christ. So even Saul, who does go through and suffers tremendously for the name of Jesus, he just goes, man, this is glorious. It's glory. How can it be glory? Because I get to know Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead. Thank you, God, for considering me worthy. Thank you, God, for loving me. Saul is literally going to change his life. But in the pain, in the pain, something is happening. In the pain, God is showing up and he's changing Saul into the man that God always envisioned Saul could be. So do you know what happens if you run from pain and discomfort and hardship? You never become the person God knew you could 
be. C.S. Lewis says it like this. I love this quote. That is why he, Jesus, that's why Jesus warned people to count the cost before becoming Christians. Make no mistake, he says. If you let me, I will make you perfect. The moment you put yourself in my hands, that is what you are in for. Nothing less or other than that. You have free will, and if you choose, you can push me away. But if you do not push me away, understand that I am going to see this job through. Whatever suffering it may cost you in your earthly life, whatever inconceivable purification it may cost you after death, whatever it costs me, I will never rest, nor let you rest until you are literally perfect. Until my father can say without reservation that he is well pleased with you. As he said he was well pleased with me. This I could do and will do, but I will not do anything else. Love that quote. If you come to Jesus, realize what you are in for is life change. If you come to Jesus, what, you are gonna, what he's going to do is radically, radically change who you are. I just want to tell you up front so that you don't think it's just all sunshine and roses. It's going to be moments of pain and struggle and hardship, but it's through the pain and the struggle and the hardship that just like a, a metal is formed in the fire and then pounded out by the hammer, it becomes what the artist, what the, the creator always intended for it to become. So don't run from hardship. Don't run from hard times. Don't run from failure. Don't run from mistakes. Don't run because of anxiety and fear. Embrace it boldly saying, I'm gonna do what God has called me to do and I'm gonna trust that his grace is truly Enough that his grace is sufficient for me that even in my weaknesses he triumphs. So what happens next? Acts chapter 9, verse 17. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road, he has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I love this. When Ananias gets there, he doesn't stand at a distance and talk to him from the doorway. He goes right up to this guy he's afraid of. He puts his hand right on him. And he doesn't say, hey, jerk face. <laughs> hey, Saul the persecutor. Notice he's not speaking truth. As we talked about last week, he's speaking what? Grace. Hey, brother Saul. Jesus has sent me to you. And notice he doesn't even put a dig in there. Jesus, the one you've been persecuting. Just Jesus. Right now, uh, I'm gonna invite a guest up on stage. His name is Nathan Shaver. Nathan, if you wanna come on up here. Nathan is uh, planting a church in Speedway. It's called Christ Community Church. And uh, Nathan and I recently went out for a drink and uh, coffee, I should clarify. <laughs> And, uh, uh, <laughs> all right, anyway, we had a phenomenal conversation. Now, look, I realize I'm a pastor, he's a pastor, but as Nathan was telling me about some of the stories going on in his church, there was so much wisdom, I thought, you need to hear what I heard because it was encouraging and challenging to me. So if you'll listen in for a minute, and then I'll wrap things up when we're done. So, Nathan, I appreciate you coming, man. Thanks for having me. Might turn it on, or they might turn it on, whichever yeah, it goes. All right. I've got it on. All right, all right. Am I there? Okay. Okay. So why Speedway? 
Well, um, I believe in the book of Habakkuk, it says that God's vision for the world is that His glory would cover the earth like the waters cover the seas. That's God's vision for the world, that the glory of God would cover the earth like the water covers the seas. And I don't know if you watched the news last night or this morning. Um, that's still not a reality. I grew up in Kansas, and our goal is to see every nook and cranny of this city saturated with the gospel. And so we just began to pray and ask the Lord what He'd want us to do and where He'd want us to go. And we, we loved and celebrated and saw this little cute community surrounded by a great city in desperate need of the gospel. And um, initially, my wife and I, Rochelle, and first of all, thanks for letting me be here. Um, this feels like coming home um, because Rochelle was raised and discipled in this church. So your gift, um, not only to the church, big church, but to Christ Community Church and to me is a great, gracious gift. She is a doll. So um, something That's whistled. Said, it was probably my phone. I'm sorry. I was like, Rochelle, it was me whistling. Um, <laughs> but, um, but the thing is, is that we, we thought we were initially going overseas, and uh, the Lord actually took me overseas in 2010 to Istanbul, Turkey, where we were actually considering going. And I remember walking to Cobblestone Street one afternoon, and the Lord just completely um, broke my heart in, in this way. He just spoke, not audibly again, just the Spirit working in your heart. Um, Nathan... Why would I send you to the nations when I've already brought them to your midst and you're not even reaching them where you are? Yeah. And I came back and I was like, where are the nations among me? And I began to spend some time in uh, a little coffee shop called Einstein Bagels in Crawfordsville Road in Speedway, Indiana. And I was just journaling and praying, Lord, open my eyes to see. Let me see what you're doing in the world. Where are the nations? And he's like, Shaver, open your eyes. And I looked in the coffee shop. In the coffee shop. Burmese and Chinese and Saudis and Anglos and Africans. It doesn't matter. I just saw it all passing me, passing over before my eyes. And I just was like, here they are. Here's what's going on. Like, and the thing was is that there wasn't a lot of interaction between all these people. I was going, Lord, could a work be done here? And I just began to pray and ask. And the Lord just, we actually felt in love with that community. Yeah. And then we just also saw the desperate need for the gospel in every nook and cranny of Indianapolis. You can plant anywhere in a neighborhood and there needs to be gospel witness. So you that's shared, you shared some data in the last service, the last data you saw in Indianapolis. Yeah, the last data I saw in Indianapolis, and this is crazy, it still breaks my heart. And, you know, in, in Matthew 9, it says, Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. They were like harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Um, this city is claiming 2.1 million people, and only 17% of them will go to an evangelical church at some time in a month. Not weekly. At some point throughout the month, they'll go to an evangelical church where the gospel is proclaimed with boldness. Um, we need not only faithful gospel churches to continue in their ministry, but we also see, need to see new churches planted. And just for there, because I don't know if everybody else here has kind of my perspective. So what's an unchurched people group, an unreached people group? Do you know that percentage? Uh, the percentage of an unchurched people group? Yeah. That's a good question. I thought you would know that as a mission and guy. You, you I believe I it's 12% um, or maybe 15%. Are you talking like in general or in our city? Yeah, in general. Like oh. if they say it's an unreached people group, it's... Oh, yeah, less less than 13%. There's also unengaged, right. which means they've had at no access to even hearing the name of Jesus. They'll, right. they'll live their whole life. They'll wake up. I mean, they'll be born. They'll wake up. They'll walk all day, every day of their life, and they'll never, ever bump shoulders with a Christian. Ever, anywhere. Ever. And that so is like Indianapolis is roughly seventeen percent of yeah unreached. Of right. Yeah, so unreached. you got unreached, and then there's unengaged. Right, right. Yeah. So you were telling me a story. This is the part. So God told you to go on a prayer walk. 
Yes. Tell us that story. Uh, it's amazing. When I went into church planting, I went through this assessment process, and that's always a fun thing when people put a microscope on you and point out all your problems. And uh, they said, Nathan, we don't really think you're going to have a problem attracting people. You're kind of a nice guy, and we don't think that you'll have any problem talking or preaching or teaching. You're good at that. And I, I just like to talk. And um, they said, really, you need to watch your health. Like, What's up with that? You're not my doctor, they said, right? We just want to encourage you to get a Fitbit and to walk ten to 12,000 steps a day. And I was like, well, that's jerk of you. <laughs> and can I, I failed right there. Can I take there. a Twinkie with no. me? I? <laughs> hey, I, had a tw- I got married in this church, and for my groom's cake, we had a Twinkie tower. Did you know that? No. It's biblical, though. Praise the Lord. You're prophetic. <laughs> um, prophetic, not pathetic. Right, thank you. Um, <laughs> it's like the difference between flagellation and flatulation. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You don't know what that's I don't even know what this is going on. Let's turn into the Tonight Show. Um, But what happened is, um, so I was just like, okay, well, Rochelle, what do I do with this? She goes, well, get the Fitbit, start walking and pray as you go. One of our convictions at Christ Community Church is, and I want you to have this conviction too, is that every home that has a Christian in it is a missionary outpost. And every street is a mission field. So until you know other Christians in your neighborhood, you have to view every one of those homes as a mission field. And so I just began to pray and walk and ask the Lord, Lord, let me just get to know my neighbors. Let me know their names. Let me know their stories. Let me hear what you're already doing in their, in, in their lives that I might apply the gospel. And just was walking and walking and walking. And nobody's out. Nobody's doing anything. And I was like, well, this is a waste of time. I better just go on to the next thing and get, get on to what I need to do, the important things like meetings and stuff, you know. And um, I'm finished up the walk about four houses down from my house, and the garage door opens of this neighbor. And I was like, oh, wrapping up, got to keep going. And get down about to my house, and the Lord's like, shaver. He always refers to me as shaver. It's <laughs> um, his pet name for you. You guys get beloved, I get shaver. Um, <laughs> he's like, respond, go. And I'm like, oh, I don't have time. And so I start walking back to my neighbor, and I see him, and he's in his garage. And as closer I get, I'm starting to walk up his drive. He's sitting in his garage drinking tea and smoking hookah. Obviously, he's Middle Eastern. And I'm like, oh, wow. And I said, Lord, what are you doing? Go before me. And I said, salam alaikum. And he said, alaikum salam. And he runs out into the drive, and I'm losing it. I don't even know why. Um, but he drives, and he goes, who are you? <laughs> I'm like, my name is Nathan, and I'm your neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> and he just begins to talk with me, and we begin to share our stories, and I'm not going to tell you his name just to protect the innocent. And, um, but like, we, we begin to have this conversation, and all of a sudden, he goes, I've lived in this neighborhood two and a half years, and no one has ever talked to me. Nick, before you go on, can you imagine yeah. that? Two and a half years. Now, most of you, not all of you, I realize, because I'm like some of you, but most of you, you live near family and generations of family. You have friends you've grown up with your whole life. What would it be like to go two and a half years in a new country, and no one says a word yeah, within, I mean, obviously he met within that neighborhood and like he has, he has his community, but he doesn't have any relationships beyond that. And I, I mean, he's the only Saudi in our neighborhood. And I'm like, I am so sorry. I, I, I'm your neighbor. My name's Nathan. And he's like, you are not my neighbor. 
And he gets a scowl on his face. And I was like, did I shake with the left hand? Did no, I, I say salam alaikum wrong? Did I say something? What did I, what's wrong? Did I offend? Because I'm like, what did I do? And he goes, no, Nathan. You are not my neighbor. You are my friend. And then he began to open up. And um, he said, um, my wife has been here now with me for nine months, newly married. And she is still not pregnant. What is wrong with this woman? I know. <laughs> and, and I obviously opened up a can of worms because I have five kids. And he's like, you're so blessed. <laughs> and all my American friends are like, you're so crazy. <laughs> <sighs> so I, I like my Saudi neighbors. <laughs> and so um, anyway, in that conversation, he just begins to say, she's been here for nine months and she's still not pregnant. I said, ah, I know Esau. He is the giver of life. Esau is Jesus. Jesus is the giver of life. He is the one who gives life and blesses men and women with children. And I'm going to pray for you, my friend, that God would open your wife's womb to conceive and to have a child and that you would be blessed. Um, I'm going to pray for you. He's like, you would do that for me? I said, yes, I will pray with you. I will pray for you. And just a few uh, months later, on my door, stop praying! <laughs> And uh, she's expecting any day now. Yeah, that's awesome. To, to deliver. Now, guys, think about this for a minute. I'm going to ask Nathan a couple more questions, but think about it. There's a certain people group out there that we as Americans are especially intimidated by, right? And we're intimidated for a lot of reasons. Things we hear or see in the media, things that are real in other parts of the world, maybe certain types of people. But we make a judgment call on all people we make a judgment call about the power of God and what he's able to do. We make a judgment call. And it's because we made a judgment call, we can't extend love because we've already decided what's safe, who we can reach out to, what God will do. And then we put up these theological barriers. I mean, Nathan prayed for Jesus to move in a Muslim's life. Most of us are so afraid to pray that. Like, why would I ask God to bless enemies? Well, isn't that what he did with you? And we all were enemies apart from the gospel, all of us. And Jesus, while we were yet sinners, died for us. But it brings up a great question, right? So Nathan and I get paid to be good for a living. So Nathan, did you have any anxieties or fears as it related to all of this stuff? Yeah. Um, first of all, is just I, I'm just a walking ball of anxiety. I wake up every morning having to just like reassure myself that the gospel is still true. Hmm. And that today the Lord is at work, and I don't, I don't have to doubt. Um, there's just a few things I wake up saying every morning. I mean, I, first thing, I get up in the morning, and I go, and I turn on the light in the bathroom, and I look at this in the mirror. That's scary. <laughs> and I just let to look there and honestly just go, you're a mess. But by God's grace, you are completely accepted. You have been adopted. You were once an orphan, but you become a son in Christ. And God approves of you, Nathan, in Christ. Now go obey. See, boldness, I think, is just ordinary obedience. Just simple, ordinary obedience. God speaks, we go. And it looks really bold to the world because it's really kind of crazy. But God just calls us to simple, ordinary, everyday obedience. And so I just need to wake up, and we all need to wake up every morning and just battle the anxiety, battle the, uh, the voices in our head primarily. Just put that to death. Like, Holy Spirit, come and put those those thoughts to death in me today. Remind me of the gospel, that I might walk in joyful and loving obedience. Joyful obedience is not an oxymoron. It's, it's a great 
powerful truth. So once we know who we are and what God has done for us, we are free to go and announce and proclaim this to everyone. So we talk about this at Christ Community every week. Right. Um, we say, wherever your feet find you, in Kingsway, wherever your feet find you this week, gossip the gospel. You're going to gossip anyway. Gossip is... <laughs> Gossip, and, and it's true. We all have like mouth problems. We're all going to gossip. We're going to talk about someone and what they did with someone else. So here's my invitation. Wherever your feet find you, I know you're going to go everywhere you go, you take your feet. Sometimes you don't take your head, but your feet. <laughs> Wherever your feet find you, gossip the gospel. Talk about Jesus and what he's done with everyone. That's gossiping the gospel. And we're really good at gossiping. Let's just spin it to the glory of God. Yeah. And so a couple things I want to point out, friends, is number one, you can't engage what you're busy judging. So bring down the walls of judgment and be busy loving. Number two, leverage prayer. Prayer is a gift that God has given you. Do you know this, that God has actually tuned into believers' prayers? God has tuned into everybody's prayers, but if you're praying to something other than Jesus and asking him to do something, he's not going to answer that because he doesn't want anybody else getting the glory. But if a believer play, prays, even on behalf of an unbeliever, and asks God to bless them, which is what he wants to do anyway, imagine what you have at the tips of your fingers and asking God to move and to stir. God, give this person a baby so that they'll know it came from you. God, heal this person and do it in a way that they'll know it came from you. And in all these ways, we show love rather than judgment. We put a hand on somebody to say, brother, I love you. So... You were a little bit anxious, you told me about, you know, what would I even know? Like, they would have questions. What, I, what would I say? I'm not I'm like an expert in theology of their religion. Yeah. Well, it's funny because you can't, like, he was like, who are you? What do you do? And I was like, well, if I say pastor, that means nothing to you. If I say oh, minister, that means nothing to you. The only framework they have for Christian workers is, is priest. And I'm like, well, I'm not the priest. Goodness <laughs> gracious. And I was like, well, I study the book the Bible, and I teach it. And it's funny because I don't consider myself this psalm. I'm kind, of, I'm kind of like a Christian theologian. Ah, oh, teacher. Yes, perfect. And I was like, well, that means I have no answers, and I don't. But here's the thing, <laughs> and that's what it comes down to is all my anxieties are settled when I camp out and I bank my life on the fact that this is true, that the word of God is sufficient to accomplish God's purposes in the world, and he's given us his Holy Spirit to get, live inside of us, to empower us, to go and to boldly proclaim. So my wife and I, if you ask us both, why in the world would you ever plant a church? We would say, well, we're a little crazy, but we mostly believe that God's word and spirit accomplishes his purpose in the world. And so we're banking on word and spirit to go and proclaim. And so when I don't have the answers, I can just simply look at you and I don't know the percentage and go, okay, I need to go learn that. But I don't know the answer to that, but let's open the book. Let's, let's pray and let's ask God to give us insight and, and, and ask him. But here's the thing. Um, never lose your love for this. Yeah. Like, bank on this. And that doesn't mean just count on it. That means read it. Because Jesus said his Holy Spirit would remind us of everything he taught us. Yeah. And how can I be reminded of anything if I haven't sat at Jesus' feet to learn from him first? <laughs> and so we're like, Lord, let us just be people to the word so that when we're with people who are not familiar with the word, the spirit might remind us of everything we need to say yeah. to answer their questions that Jesus might be glorified and their joy Amen. might be full. Amen. Amen. So I'll close with just this real quick. Um, you're now studying the Bible. If I'm, if I'm saying this correct, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, the Quran actually encourages 
yeah. Islamic people to study the Gospels. Yeah, there, it's, it's funny. I, I, some people would say this, and I think they're absolutely wrong. There's enough, enough about Jesus in the Quran to lead a person to Jesus. Wrong. There's enough in the Quran to pique the interest in them wanting to know more about Jesus. And that's why if you ever encounter uh, a, a Muslim background believer, they will say their first initiative, their, their initial thing they, they went after first was a Bible and a Christian friend. It's because the God uses ordinary means like his Bible, like his word, and like you to bring the gospel to bear. Now, the thing is, is good Muslims, will, they will read the Injil to learn about the prophet Jesus. Help them out. The Injil. So, the Injil. The gospels. Sorry. Um, yeah, the four gospels. They'll, they'll read them to know more about Jesus. If you're a good Muslim, you should read the Injil. That will lead you. That will lead you straight to Jesus. That will lead you straight to the cross, and that will make you come face-to-face with the resurrection, which is the hardest hurdle for them to jump. And you know what? By the way, just going back to my mm-hmm. friend, yeah. that has led to a study of the gospel, Mark. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Yeah. He's, no, no conversion. I haven't sealed the deal. <laughs> Feel like a complete failure every morning I wake up, then I gospel my heart, and I go, okay, well, let's go back at it again. Put on the Fitbit. But, but yeah, put on the Fitbit, go for a walk. But the thing is, is that he is in proximity to the word of God and the spirit of God is working Amen. in and among us. What I found out when I went to that garage is that God was already at work long before I got there. Yeah. And just like, just like Saul and Ananias, Ananias walked into a room where God was already at work. He just showed up to be an agent of God's grace. Amen. Not the one who brings the grace. He's an agent of it. Right. Because he's been transformed, he can go and declare transformation right. to others. I want you guys to be bold so what we're going to do is we're going to pray a, ble- a blessing over Christ Community Church. They're meeting on Sunday nights right now. Yep. Sunday evenings at 915 Western Drive, which is not yet in Speedway. We haven't been able to find a location large enough for us to gather in. So we're at, uh, at um, Girls School Road and, and Morris, kind of across the street from the Amazon Fulfillment Center, 915 Western Drive. We meet on si- at 6 p.m. And uh, we gather there just to study the word, to worship the Lord, and also what we spend a lot of our time doing with our core group right now. We've only been on the ground since August, gathering this core group. We, we spend a lot of time just like practicing and encouraging one another to gossip the gospel wherever your feet find yeah. you. Um, because that's how churches are planted, through ordinary people living ordinary lives with gospel intentionality. So the last thing I'll say is, listen, I don't believe in sheep stealing, as we call it in the church leadership world, what I believe in is sheep launching. If anybody sitting here right now feels moved by God to join Nathan, what they're doing at Speedway, he's got a table right out here. You could join him by being a prayer partner. You can go on a prayer walk with them or prayer uh, conversation with them because you do different things related to prayer. Or guys, if God's calling you to leave here and go there and serve, then follow Jesus wherever he leads you because it's not about King's way, it's about God and his kingdom. What we want to do is pray, pray a blessing over there, them, and then I will finish this up. Father God, would you move in Christ Community Church? God, as Nathan is doing what so many of us long to do, which is take the gospel to people, God, there's fears, there's anxieties for them, for us. Would you remove those fears? Would you remove those anxieties? God, would you help us to be bold? I thank you for Nathan's example of the story with a neighbor. And God, I know there's even more than we could share because of the fears to protect this people involved. So God, would you just keep moving and blessing and doing what you do? And God, would you help us to just literally extend a hand of grace to somebody else and say, I am your neighbor. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming. Appreciate it, buddy. It literally can be as simple as that. So I'm going to close with this. Acts chapter 9, verse 18. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He regained his sight. Then he got up 
and he was baptized. The very next thing to happen is he starts to go out and proclaim the good news of Jesus. He didn't stop and take a hiatus at Bible college. He immediately got up, was baptized, and took next steps. So most of you have been sitting through this series, and I just want to encourage you, maybe it's time for you to take a next step. Right outside here, there's a table. You could get this, and we just have some steps in place for you. Join a group, plug into serving, become a part of the body, maybe get baptized. You tear off this orange card and just give it to us, and we'll follow up and help walk you through those steps. I'm just challenging you to be bold and not just play it safe. Go take a step. What I want to do right now is I want to send you to talk to Jesus because I believe that he wants to meet you right here, right now in this place. We're going to take communion. And um, I'm going to ask our communion service to go ahead out. While you take that bread and take that juice, I just want you to ask this one question. Here's the question. God, how can I be bold? Reveal to me how to be bold. And as you take that bread and take that juice, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Let me pray. Father, we love you. Help us to be bold. You changed Saul's life into Paul. You changed Ananias by removing him out of his fear. God, take our fears and turn them into faith. In Jesus' name, amen.